Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Hollywood Swing, and I am your host, Stephen Bishop, as always with my co-host, the ever-dapper and debonair Jerry Hairston Jr., a.k.a. the J. Hay Kid, a.k.a. the Legacy, a.k.a. a five-time Emmy winner. Jerry, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Stephen. Hey, man, it's been a, a pretty good week, a really pretty good couple weeks. So uh, the summer's here in L.A. Uh, it's beautiful. And great baseball is being played out here. Yeah, it's definitely here. It's uh, I was coaching a game yesterday, and it was 104, and we had to play 14 innings. So mm. that that wasn't the best uh, the best Sunday for me. But you know, the, we won, and the guys, you know, I told as I told them, they they now have the experience of playing a 14 inning game in. 100 in the degree heat. weather so yes. so if that ever happens to them in college or in the minor leagues they will have been through it and a lot of people will have not been through it so you know it was all good uh as we're taping this we just got past the all-star game uh jerry what'd you think of the all-star game and and the home run derby i loved it i think major league baseball does an incredible job with the all-star game uh i didn't like the uniforms but I think the game itself was fun. It was great. The home run derby was must-see TV. Vlad Guerrero Jr. was was outstanding. I'm glad that Mookie Betts did it. Uh, plenty of star power in the home run derby. Uh, but Vlad is a beast. Uh, Julio Rodriguez Jr. went off in Seattle. His hometown team put on a show for, for his Seattle fans. But all in all, I think it was a great few days there in Seattle. Seattle is a beautiful city, uh, a team that is very – energized with their sports teams. We know what they do with the Seahawks, obviously with the Mariners, especially now that they're winning, uh, putting a pretty good product on the field. And hopefully, I'm hoping, they get the Sonics back. They need the NBA team back in Seattle. You know, I agree with you on the uniforms, Jerry. I think they should go back to guys wearing their their uh, their own uniforms so that the fans can see them and they can identify their guy on the field. And, you know, it just brings that pride to it. Uh, one of the things about the Home Run Derby that I enjoyed watching was Adley Rutschman going from mm. both sides of the going from both sides of the plate. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Uh, and he was he was launching balls. I mean, as soon as he turned around to the right side, first ball gone, second ball gone. Just you know, just a beast. And I in think I think he hit seven out of eight from the right side. He was launching from the left, and then he said, "You know what? Let me go to the right side." Hit seven out of eight out. And he's a hometown kid too. I, I think you know the game of baseball is thriving. We have great young stars. The Baltimore Orioles are are balling right now. They're, I think they're the, to this date are the, the second best record in all of baseball. Uh, and they got great young players, and Adley is one of them. He is an absolute beast. Yeah, he is. He is. Well, Jerry, let's let's get to today's show. Uh, today's guest, full disclosure, is a, is a, is a good friend of mine. Uh, he's been somebody that I've you know leaned on for advice numerous times. Uh, he he's he's always been around Hollywood when I've when I've been out and about in Hollywood, not over the last probably six or seven years, but before that, he would pop up in places that I would never expect him. And we would always have conversations where I would always learn something. This guy is somebody who's been around the world and has, you know, uh, a plethora of life experience to, to share with young guys like myself when he did. And so that's uh, one of the main reasons I wanted to have him on today. But not only that, let me get to his intro, okay? You know I like to do the intros. The guy, you know, he's, like I said, he's been around, so he doesn't really need an introduction, but his introduction is pretty freaking impressive, Jerry, so I'm <laughs> going to do it anyway. Uh, guest today was born in Brooklyn, New York, 
Is Brooklyn in the house? Sorry, what? Jerry, I had to do it. It's a, it's a rule. I had to do it. Uh, born in Brooklyn, New York. He played on the basketball team at Canarsie High School in Brooklyn and ended up going to Georgia Tech, where he helped the Yellow Jackets win the 1985 ACC championship. He left Georgia Tech in 86 as Tech's all-time leader in block shots. Uh, he was drafted by the Detroit Pistons with the 11th overall pick in the first round in 1986 draft. He played with Detroit in the Bad Boys era. Remember that. Remember the Bad Boys era. Okay. Uh, he played with Miami, Toronto, Chicago, and the Los Angeles Lakers. He is a four-time NBA champion, back-to-back in 89 and 90 with Detroit, uh, in 96 with the Bulls, and in 2000 with the Lakers. Uh, after that season, he retired after he had won four championships, four championship rings with three different teams in three different decades and two different millenniums. Uh, he's also an actor with a recurring role of Fletcher <laughs> in, the bad, in the Bad Boys franchise. So he goes from the Bad Boys era of Detroit Piston, Piston basketball to the Bad Boys movie franchise with Will Smith and Martin Lawrence and Gabrielle Union, my old B. Mary Jane co-star. Um, and he was one of the hosts of the very, very popular and what I think opened the door for a lot of what we see right now on television with the first takes and the undisputeds and the like. Uh, the very, very popular best damn sports show, period. Mm -hmm. Jerry, ladies and gentlemen, John Sally. John, welcome to the wow. show. How you doing today, man? That intro was so long. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. See you they're, next time. They're always long. <laughs> they're hey, they're always long. They're always long because I want to give people their flowers and their just due when I have them on the show. But, you know, hey, if, if you got a long intro, that means you have a long resume. And that is, you know, kudos to you on that. Thank you very much. I'm glad you didn't read my uh, my uh, police docket. That would have been <laughs> as long. <laughs> I don't have one of those. But how you guys doing, man? Doing really doing well, well, doing really well. So why only th why only 3% of the MB, uh, NBL is black, man, from America? What's the deal? Why y'all not letting black people play baseball? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Well, uh, part, part of it was uh, your generation. You know, part of it was your yeah. generation. Uh, you guys yeah, really told, made the, the NBA popular. Uh, you know, I told my dad. He, he told me, he said, as tall as you're going to be, man. And he said... Man, you 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 get up on that pitcher mound, you'll be able to place the ball right in front of the right in front of the catcher. They won't even have to throw it that far. And I was like, Dad, it's hot outside. <laughs> Nobody's playing baseball. And we play basketball outside on concrete. But my my should have listened to your father. Everybody out there, listen to your dad. Boy, can you imagine if if I would have been the first, I would have been before the big uh big unit. What's big unit. Name? Randy. The big yeah, unit. You would have been, been the I would have been the bigger unit. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I want to ask you, you're, you're from Brooklyn, so Yankee fan, Mets fan. So my father was a Mets fan, and um, when he would drink Schaefer's beer, and he would be sitting there, and he, the, the only time he drank beer, it seemed like, is when he was watching the Mets game, and then he would doze off, and I would sip the, uh, the, the Schaefer. Uh, my cousin Michael is a huge Yankee fan. And um, the only person 
that I really know in baseball is Steven. So, you know, I, I know Barry Bonds. Um, you know, I, I know some guys, but it wasn't one of those things. Like, I'm from Brooklyn, so going up to the Bronx was not a thing for me. Uh, when I was on Best Damn Sports Show, I did uh, a whole piece um, against when they were playing against the Marlins. And I got to be up at the Yankee Stadium. I was raised a Jehovah Witness, so we used to go to Yankee Stadium for the Jehovah Witness conventions. That's the most that I ever got to it. And I remember walking around it when I was a kid. But um, I, I, my father was a Met fan. I'm going to say I'm a Yankee fan because I got uh, every color of the hat. And uh, I love Derek Jeter and, uh, Rod, and um, A-Rod. I just like the whole mystique. I became really cool with the skipper, um, with Tori, uh, because we do an event every summer, uh, every fall in with uh, Tony LaRusso in Vegas called Leaders and Legends. So mm. I got to know guys as I got older, but I, I wasn't uh, a fan. I wasn't even a Knicks fan. I was a, a Boston Celtics fan. I know. Wow. I'm from Brooklyn. What? But the reason I was a Boston Celtics fan, because they were the first team to hire a black coach. Okay. So, all right. All right. Bill Russell. Yeah. I always get out of that one. Plus <laughs> I don't like teams that lose and teams lose. I was 10 years old or nine years old when they won in 73 or 72, whatever year that was, but I was never a Knicks fan. Mm. John, you know, Jerry won a world series ring with the Yankees. He was a, yeah. he was a Bronx bomber over there. What year was that, Jerry? 2009. 2009, and you, Jeter, and who else was on that team? Was Teixeira on that team with Tex you? Tex was there. A-Rod, uh, CC Sabathia was our ace. Mariano Rivera, closer, Pettit. We had a squad, bro. We, we had a squad. Yeah, we I, definitely had the team. I forgot team. about CC. I love. Yeah. I, I hung out with CC. I, I tried to, I tried to corrupt CC with some marijuana. He didn't go for it. <laughs> well, now well, marijuana, wait, is, marijuana is legal now, so it's not so... Uh, Oh yeah, he and, smoked and, all my weed, man. He smoked it all. <laughs> well, we're gonna hey, we're gonna get to that. I'm gonna ask you about that, but you know what? We have to, you know, John. I watch you. I follow a lot of what you do. You know, when you do an appearance on any show, I you know I sit down and watch it. And I've seen you on Vlad TV quite a bit. Yeah, and, I have you know, a series. Yeah, and I wanna I wanna you know do what we have to do with a guy like you and go back you know on a trip down memory lane in the NBA now. For your career, there's some things that I didn't know about. Okay, so you you were one of the inaugural Toronto Raptors. Yes. Right? And then you, you negotiated a buyout of your contract, and then you went with the Bulls on a 10-day, right. and, and then another 10-day, and then got signed as a free agent. First of all, if you had to do now what you did then, would you leave Toronto that quickly? Yeah, so um, Isaiah Thomas was the owner of the squad. And at that time, we had some, we still had beef. Uh, mm. I, you know, I'm a vegan. We didn't have beef. Just certain <laughs> things were going certain ways. And um, I had left the Pistons in 2000, uh, 1992. And um, then when he got the squad, he had me and BJ Armstrong. And BJ said he didn't want to be there. Well, Isaiah, he let Isaiah said, all right, I'll get you out of here. Well, the Bulls were asking for me then, beginning of the season. And he didn't he didn't like what they were offering. So I had to stay in Toronto. Now, being on the first team is not a good thing because they wind up getting the players that other teams don't want. 
when they have an expansion draft. And I had I got out of Miami. Pat Riley told him the only person they shouldn't have gotten rid of was me because I know how to win. And when I got to Toronto, it was literally not the, the, the place is beautiful. Great experience. Uh, conceived my daughter, Tyler, there. Um, but as far as basketball, they just wasn't uh, at par for an NBA team at that time. And I knew the Chicago Bulls were going to win. Dennis Rodman was on the squad, James Edwards. And so when I negotiated my, I, I had to, Isaiah wouldn't give me the seven, in order to let me go, I'm going to say it this way, in order to be considered a free slave, I had to buy my, I had to buy myself out of a contract. And he said, well, we're still going to owe you 750 if you um, forego on that, I'll give you waivers. So I was the only player ever to own his waivers in the NBA. And people don't know what the waivers are. When you get cut or you get let go, you put on the waivers and whatever team wants to come and get you, they assume your contract. I assume my contract. I uh, was negotiating, God rest his soul, with John Farida was my agent. And we were sitting at Sony, my own late night talk show, because I was always preparing to do television. And then I get a text from Jerry um, uh, with the Bulls and right, uh, and he says, long tall, I've been trying to get you. I had a pager and it said, Jerry, Ryan, uh, um, Jerry Krauts, the Chicago Bulls. And so I get up from the Sony meeting and I go, can I use you? Because back then I wasn't using my cell phone for long distance. So I used the cell phone. He was like, come in. I think I'll talk to Phil. And, you know, Phil Jackson and I had a crazy history without having a history. My my first cousin was his housekeeper. And so he when he played for the Bulls, I mean, for the Knicks. So he knew of me when I told him that sister was my was my first cousin. And I knew the offense. MJ and I Omega Sci-Fi Incorporated Fraternity Brothers. Scotty and I were cool. And I, I just thought I was going to be a Chicago Bull. They brought me in three times early when I was uh, leaving college and they wound up Brad, uh, taking Brad Sellers. They thought I was bow-legged, flat foot with a slant and hella skinny. They didn't think I was going to do what I could do. And I just used that as fuel. So I bought myself out of the contract and think about it. I was on the greatest team ever. I know a lot of people are going to say that the um, Warriors with 73 wins is the greatest team ever, but they didn't win a championship. Uh, the greatest team ever was 1996 Chicago Bulls. And I happened to have a ring from that, have the experience, and now we can sit and talk to it. I, I look back, hindsight is 2020, Steve. But when you look back on things, you have to make moves that are better for you at the time. It's moving so fast. No one, no money can match the fact that I am able to say I played with Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman on their next or the beginning of their three-peat. And I have a championship ring to prove for it. And that's going to be with me. So I paid for that experience, um, but I also was blessed for that experience. When you talk about paid for that experience, do you also mean uh, you, that relationship between you and Isaiah Thomas? Is it still to this day hindered? Have you guys been no. friends since since then no I, I i i don't hold a grudge it's too heavy it's too heavy jerry it's just too heavy so i 
you know, he had his reasons for doing it. It was a new team. They needed as much money as they possibly can. Um, I wish I wish we would have come to an understanding that let me go earlier, but it didn't happen. So I got to be one of the first to, you know, make Toronto hot. I know people are thinking it's it's just hot now, but it wasn't. It was just really just a country town. And I started throwing parties of, mm -hmm. on Sundays, every other Sundays. I was charging twenty dollars to get in and people were still paying five. And it was like, what are you doing? <laughs> I was making folks dress up. And you had to be dressed up if you had on sneakers or you wasn't dressed up, you couldn't get in. And everybody asked me why I did that. No one wants to fight in their Sunday best. Nobody. So we had no fights. We had no problems. The girls had to put it on. And it makes you feel good when you put it all on. So I, I got to do a bunch of things that were, I guess, great for Toronto, great for me. I got to experience it um, and realize I didn't want to do it that way any longer. And, you know, when I got out of playing with the Bulls, I went straight into TV and I got smacked in the face with that whole TV Hollywood life, too, to um, learning. That's why I say I have experiences that have taught me and I have taken the lessons and used them. But Isaiah and I are like uh, are, are hella cool. Well, you know, I actually really enjoyed that answer i was actually kind of being trying to be funny about toronto and just telling you you know talking about the lifestyle of toronto i shot imposters in toronto and oh. i just was trying to say man you left toronto i know <laughs> but but you know i was married uh and i liked my wife at that time i like her now too but there was times <laughs> in between i didn't and uh but that at that time and and uh, which we can get into relationship conversation you, you're going to run into situations where you like and dislike people. You know, uh, I tell them it's more important to like somebody than to love them. I can love a lot of things, but when I like you, it's a different uh, feeling. And I got to experience it. You know, I got to I got to experience Toronto, not totally as a single male, but the, the nightlife, the, the 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 nice what they taught. Take your shoes off when you walk in the house. I got some of the best medical advice. I met some people who I'm still still friends with to this day because they were genuinely great people. Most Canadians are. And so I, I enjoyed it. And, and you're right. I got to shoot three movies up there. I was working with a rally for six kids with cancer. Uh, I, I got a friend up there, Natasha. Natasha books me for different things to come to. I love the city. Barada. Um, Natasha Barada. Yeah. I yeah, know sure. Natasha is a great friend of yeah. mine as well. Yeah, man. But, you know, cold starts in Toronto. Well, it really starts in Saskatoon and it spreads throughout the rest of the world. That's I have never I was so cold and I had just been traded from Miami. So my blood was thick. I, I couldn't practice like my knees wouldn't work and my arms. And they were like, come on, man. I said, it's too cold. And they were like, come on. And we were practicing in a place that, you know, everybody else can go and it was some kind of spot and we would have to shower with everyone else and uh, wow. i was like this is not the nba like they don't even do this in europe this is not the nba and i i, I got to learn it though i got to learn it i got to experience it i played with the great alvin robinson uh damon stoudemire was my rookie he was a rookie of the year he's now the coach of georgia tech uh uh oliver miller um, this, this, a, a whole bunch, man. I just love, I love the experience. I just hate losing and they were losing a lot. 
So before that, you came out of tech and you yeah. went in, you were drafted by Detroit and you went there. Coming from Brooklyn, <clears throat> you probably, you know, had had some toughness about you was maybe part of the reason they drafted you. But what was it like getting into that system, which would ultimately become the bad boys? Was that something that you felt, oh, I'm going to fit in perfectly here? Or was it something that you that you got groomed to being one of the bad boys? And, and that was something that, you know, had to happen as you matured. No, I was always a, a tough kid. I was really skinny. Um, and it was funny when I got drafted, I, I, somebody um, taped the draft for me. So I got to watch it. And a lot of, you know, we don't get to see a lot of things when you get, you know, so much was moving. When they were having a conversation, they was asking me about how I was going to fit in. And they had no idea. I was just happy to be an MBA. Um, and they were talking about my weight and, 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 they thought I was frail. And a year earlier, John Thompson was doing the commentating uh, during the draft. And he was like, Sally's going to surprise a lot of this kid is way tougher than they think he is. And don't think that that skinny has anything to do with it. And I loved when I heard that, that John said it. And I loved that when I got in, I surprised a bunch of people. But the mentality in the NBA was, I mean, the, the Celtics were the dirty team. The Celtic was the team to put in a whole bunch of bruisers and and Larry Bird was getting knocked all over the court, just getting up and shooting his foul shot. So that was the NBA. Um, they they gave us the moniker of bad boys because we kind of interrupted the, the plan. The plan was it was Larry, there was magic, and now it was the new Michael Jordan. East Coast, middle of the country, West Coast. And this small team in this small market of Detroit came in and shook all of that up. So I fit because I was so used to playing from um, being doubted, from being uh, in the last place. And the Pistons had that situation. And all of us had a chip on our shoulder. That bunch of characters all worked. You know, I, I want to talk about that bad boys team. Listen, I grew up in Chicago uh, in the 80s and 90s. And the yeah. Bulls were my team. You know, the Bulls were yeah. my team. And you talk about the interruption. Uh, I, you you guys made me cry when I was a kid. Yes. You know, because you right. guys not only would beat the Bulls, you guys would physically beat MJ, Pip, yeah. all those guys. But that was the way the game was played back then. You know, talk about that right. squad and saying, okay, this is our identity. And Chuck Daly, who, by the way, was always styling profile. He had the best suits, the perfect hair. He had the perfect look. He was your head coach of the bad boys. Talk about your relationship with Coach Daly and the, and the rest of that group. I love uh, – I gave him a nickname, Daddy Rich, uh, because he, he, he looked he, – he, he just was money. And he, and he was so good, man. He helped me mature as a man, um, and he would talk to me. And that was, a, you know, you know, coaches do whatever, but he would talk to me and he would, he would, hey, let me holler at you. And he would talk to me and he said I had the best mental health of any athlete he's ever met. Now, I didn't know what that meant. I just thought my teammates were crazy. I didn't know what bipolar was. I didn't know what <laughs> schizophrenia was. I, I didn't know what dementia while being 20 something years old was. But like he could yell at me when he wanted to yell at somebody else. And I would sit there and nod and say, okay, coach. And he was like, you're not even game. Why is he yelling at you? I said, well, he can't yell at him. He knows he can't yell at him. He'll shut down. 
And I just take it. I don't care. Don't, you know, I'm going to have fun when I get in the game. Um, he also was big on uh, making us understand each second. Uh, what I mean by that is a lot of coaches, they, they go through the run through. We got to run practice. We got to do this. They got to yell. They're going to scream. Chuck didn't do that. We ran two minute drill, four minute drill, five minute drill, meaning what you're going to do when it's you're down five with three minutes, what you're going to do when you're down two with one minute, like those kind of practices. So when we got in the game, he would yell two minute drill, two minute drill. And we would know, okay, we got a score pressed and we were prepared. That was a huge thing on preparation. And you had to stay in shape on your own, uh, which I did. I like to run because when you're running, nobody is bothering you. Um, except the cops that were still chasing me. No, but when you're running, when you're running, that's it, it's just how you get to uh, you know, keep your body in shape, makes you feel better. Um uh, he would he was really appreciative that I stayed in shape and he saw it and he treated us as men and he said hey I have to manage 12 fortune 500 companies and um if the company is performing better that company gets more attention and so he didn't like it make us think that he was cuddling us he, maybe some to Dennis Rodman because he needed it more than most at that time he, he had so much going on but and Bill Lambeer but the rest of us, there's no coddling. This is what's going to happen. This is what I expect. And if you put it out on the floor, you're good. You got a chance to see Dennis Rodman when he was just starting out with the Detroit Pistons. Obviously, you go to, to, to a, a, another organization. You come back to the Bulls, and now you see Dennis Rodman dyeing the hair. He's a you talk about a Fortune 500 company. He became bigger than life at that time. Talk about seeing him when he was a rookie yeah. develop to him being a bull and being a, a superstar in his own right. Yeah, I, I, he just did an interview on Vlad TV and Vlad sent it to me first and said, yeah, I don't think he was saying, you know, too much likely stuff. And I just understood. I said, you just got to understand. Dennis is just going to fill the time um, for what you're going to say. And like I used to take him around. Now, I didn't know he was four years older than me or I didn't realize he was four years older than me. So he was a 26 year old rookie. And I was showing him things because I know he wasn't up on it. He was, you know, he's a country kid. And then he started getting his hair cut. We had the same barber, God rest his son, Thomas. And Thomas would cut and do all kinds of things in his head. But when he got, and everybody thinks he originated dying his hair blonde, no, that was Wesley Snipes in Demolition Man. Mm -hmm. uh, and he and he he copied that. Then he met Madonna and realized how to market. Um, and seeing all that, it, it was a trip because he would do all that to his hair and, and his nails. And it wasn't a distraction for him. It was a distraction for everyone else. And he would use it to his advantage. Um, but he was... Literally, I tell you this. I'm gonna tell you this story right quick. Phil Jackson has a, a practice. I mean, you know, he's in there talking, and right before the game, and Dennis is not in the room. And waits, and then Phil is talking, and Dennis walks by him just with a towel on, goes into the shower. Phil's still talking. Dennis showers, comes out, starts getting dressed. All of us is already dressed. Um, and Dennis starts getting dressed 
No one is saying anything. And I'm tripping. I'm looking from side to side. I'm keeping, no, Michael doesn't say nothing. Scotty don't say anything. Phil doesn't say, I don't say anything. So I look over at James Edwards and I'm like, and he was like, chill, Sal. So by the time we get ready to go on court, Dennis is buttoning down his sweats, gets out on court, knows everything we're about to do. It's like he and Phil had already had a conversation. He wasn't good at sitting still. He, he didn't like that form. And he went out and got 20 rebounds and shut down whoever it was, got the crowd ignited. You know, in Detroit, we call him big man. He is the most amazing human athlete I've been around. Now, I've been around Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders, Herschel Walker, but Dennis Rodman, whatever planet he's from, we need to go back there and start getting players. <laughs> <laughs> the energy level. He never got tired. Never got no, tired. No, he doesn't. And he has asthma. I said, whatever asthma you got, give me that asthma. <laughs> wow. One of the things that I, I learned when I was doing some research on you, Sal, that did not surprise me, but it, you know, I, I'd like to get your take on it. In that uh, that infamous game four where the, the Pistons walked off the floor without, without shaking hands with the Bulls, you were one of the only guys that actually stayed out there on the floor and shook hands. That, like I said, that doesn't surprise me. I, knowing you, you've always been a stand-up guy and you know, you're, you, what's right is right with you. But what, what, first of all, what prompted you to stay out there? And second of all, how was that received when you got back into the, into the locker room with your teammates? Um, first things, I, I, I heard what was about to happen. And just to say that, the Pistons, well, all we did is imitate what the Celtics did to us. They, they walked off the court. There's a, there's a scene when all of a sudden you see, um, you see, uh, what's his name? Kevin um, McHale. Kevin McHale reached back and hit uh, Isaiah's hand, but he said, you know, bring it back. But that's how the, that's how the Celtics handed us our uh, our championship, Eastern Conference championship. So Bill and Bear said, let's give it to them like the Celtics gave it to us. The problem is we're not white guys. The other problem is Michael Jordan was the messiah. And I remember I go up to Chuck Daly. I go, hey, put me in the game. He goes, Sal, you can't get any more stats. And I go, nah, something about to go down. I don't want it to go down. Now, I'm, I mean, I'm trying to do the John Sally late night show in 1988. And who was my guest? is Michael Jordan. I go to the hotel. I pick him up. We do the interview. We go eat. Like, this is my guy since 1982. I'm not going to be a part of this madness and this unprofessionalism. Uh, yeah, it caused it caused a stiff. It, somebody had to say something, but I wasn't wrong. No, and, and I don't think thoughts, I don't think you were wrong at all. I no. think it's you know everybody can understand that if you're going to deal with sportsmanship, you gotta you gotta learn how to lose just as well as you learn how to win. And you know, yeah. uh, I, I I admire you standing up like that and and in that time knowing that you you know you may have to listen to some 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 things from your teammates when you got back but doing the right thing was was more important to you and i, I admire yeah. you for that yeah scott hastings stayed out there joe dumas um stopped and said something to mj 
or I, if I if I recall, Vinnie Johnson. If I recall, I'm not sure. I just know that it was more important to me at that time. I was leaving. I was giving two tickets to Scotty and Horace because they, they had people that wanted to come. Um, I also, uh, you know, I just love MJ. So, you know, I'm wearing this shirt right now just so you guys can see, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, from this company called I Hate Sneakers. Don't worry, I'm going to send you guys a bunch of gear. <laughs> Please do. Uh, um, but that, that's what I'm telling you. It's like you, you have to think. And I'm a professional basketball player. Now, in college, like, I'm going to tell you something that trips me out. You know how they line up kids, and I think it started in baseball and hockey, and you give a, sh- a high five to the yep. team because it's, it's sportsmanship? I didn't like. I don't like that. I, I still don't like it. Um, if you lose, get off court. Yeah. Like, get you next time. Hurry up and get in the locker room so coach can, can you know, go off on you. Uh and that, you know, slap, that doesn't mean you have good sportsmanship. That just means you're transferring. Because I, I know I would sneeze in my hand and snap somebody else's hand. <laughs> I, I I hate people when I play against them. Like, I used to tell MJ, like, I hit MJ one time and took him down, and he's limping down court. He goes, you know, man, you one of them, man. I said, I've always been one of them. When I'm in this color, after the game, I can be back to us. But mm. I'm, I'm, I'm all about gang gang when it's time to be on the, on the, on the squad, that wasn't gang gang walking off and saying that and doing that. But I didn't think that was, I thought that was, and it hurt Isaiah in his, in his future. It hurt Isaiah in his future. And your dream team, still, he, he wasn't point. invited to the dream team. You're right. Yeah. And I think, and then he found out it wasn't MJ that didn't get him on the dream team. He found out it was a whole different thing when I saw the interview with Magic and he mm-hmm. on um, ABC. So he thought it was MJ that had something to do it. MJ doesn't care. Um, MJ was doing something else. He was he was introducing Nike to Europe at that time and to the rest of the world uh, because it was covered by Adidas at that time. That, they, you know, they did the whole thing in Barcelona with him on the side of the wall. People didn't know what that Nike was and who he was. He, he introduced the world to the NBA. So he was on a different mission. Um, I also think uh, that when you're going to do something, that should that, that wasn't our thing. That was the Celtics thing. We should have did our thing. And our thing is, yeah, we beat you, but you got us. All right, now go on and make sure the trophy comes back to the East Coast. And no one would have said anything. But like I said, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, you talk about that generation, you know, you have Michael Jordan, you know, a T-shirt on, you know, Magic Johnson, you know, once again, a couple of days ago, uh, said that Michael Jordan's the greatest basketball player of all time. Larry Bird in the past called MJ God in gym shoes, you know, especially the sport of basketball, I think more so than any sport, more so the NFL, more so the Major League Baseball, the NBA loves to talk about who's the greatest <laughs> basketball player of all time. Where do you sit on that debate? Or do you say, you know what? There's been a lot of great players. I can't just pick one. I, I've said that. I've said that. You know, Oscar Robinson, there's, there's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, there's Larry Bird, there's Magic Johnson, um, Allen Iverson, Kobe, LeBron. I talk about their eras, and I said Mike was the best in the 90s. But I'm going to be honest. I, I say that just so I could be different than the rest. 
the truth is the, the greatest player of all time is Michael Jordan, period. There's the there haven't there been guys who can do things like him, jump like him, do, but that whole uh mystique that MJ has is entirely different than anybody else. He is he is the greatest player to play in the NBA ever. Mm. Now we talk we talk about that that now we're all athletes here. So we we understand that there are different Wait 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 one 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 second. One second. One second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody that sees this is going to be like, man, he always said that I used to do it just to be different than everyone else. I know. And I would tell him, Jay, I'm going to say, watch, yep. I'm going to get him going crazy, man. You're going to get people shooting at you, man. You better leave these folks alone. I would do it. I ran purpose. into Colin. I'm sorry. I read, just want to let I ran out. into Colin Carhart here in Manhattan Beach a few years ago. And I ran into him because I'm in Manhattan Beach. I go, bro, what are you talking about this debate? LeBron better go. He goes, man, we all know Michael Jordan's the greatest player of all time. We just have to stir up debate. We have to do that. And I'm yeah. saying, oh my God, I got suckered in. And then now that yes. I'm in the media and I get a chance to see it, you know what? You have to have these debates just to keep conversation going. Everybody knows it's yeah. MJ. Sorry, what I, no, no problem. No problem. What I was about to say, we're all athletes here. We understand that there are there are subtle differences in this conversation. Now, when we talk about the mystique and the championships and everything that MJ brought to the table, th those are all valid points. Those are all valid points. But the, the, there's a difference between having the mystique to go along with the skills that make you the most iconic player of all time. And just being the best basketball player, my uh, Magic Johnson, I think, said it. Uh, you know, championships don't equal greatness. Greatness equals greatness. So when we talk about the you know the most iconic player of all time versus the best player of all time is similar to the the Tupac Biggie argument about the the most iconic rapper versus the best rapper. I mean. Tupac was a great rapper and he was so iconic, it's it's ridiculous. But most people would say when it comes to wordplay and storytelling and, uh, you know, uh, rhyme scheme and things like that, Biggie was a more skilled rapper. So when right. you do when we talk about actual skills versus, you know, uh, Iconism, if that's a word, maybe I just made that up, Jerry. I don't know. I like it. We'll put it on a shirt. Do, I like it. Uh, okay, iconism. We'll yes. do that. Do you still think that? Because I've heard you say recently on an interview that someone else was a more skilled player and the most right. skilled player that you had ever played. So when you talk about best player, does that mean everything or just best at playing the game? Best at playing the game. The reason I said Scottie Pippen was probably one of the most skilled, play, best skilled players I've ever been around because he's 6'9". He plays all five positions. He can dribble with both hands. His arms are seven. My daughter just said his arms are seven foot tall, long. I don't know what what planet he's from. I know it's the planet, though. <laughs> and and he, like Phil Jackson's favorite player, was Scottie Pippen. Like He loves MJ and all that, but Scottie, um, everybody would say MJ had it all but he needed he needed that uh butch cassidy and the sundance kid he needed batman and robin mm -hmm. and 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 scotty handled so many other things so scotty shooting the long ball technical way of shooting the ball if you watch him shoot it's as if a coach is teaching you how to do it 
how to dribble, how to pass, how to pivot, um, time of game, um, position you're in, it, it, stealing de the ball, de making defense, the turn. Defense. Yeah, he, he was so – so many skills he had. When you watch the NBA or the WNBA All-Star game, they do the skills um, competition. Not everybody can be in that. Being able to shoot the ball, pass uh, the way you dribble, not everybody can do that. MJ can do it. MJ is the greatest player I've played with and against. Um, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, they're one person. Um, and Kareem is scoring. But when I watch LeBron, I say, hey, man, this is Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, and Michael Jordan with some Kobe all wrapped into one. That's why they don't like LeBron, because he has taken from every one of the greats and became great. Where, where does so, Kobe fit in? Because you got a chance to play with Kobe oh, Bryant, too. Because yeah. Kobe, I love Kobe Dog. Kobe Dog has changed the way we were. Kobe Dog is the Walter Payton of the NBA. Everybody and Jerry Rice. Jerry mm. Rice, Walter Payton used to work out until they vomited. Mm. That's Kobe Bryant. Uh, Kobe's house. You know, he had he had his gym, but he had his weights right next to his, where all his basketball stuff is. And he would play with his daughter in his house gym in a confined area. And if you watch him, that's where he scored in this same confined area he would use in his house for his for his rim and his and his half court is exactly how he would score in an NBA game. The guy was. Over and over, take a thousand shots. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna take 200 shots or 300 shots today. I'm taking a thousand, mm. and out of the thousand, 600 are not gonna hit the hit the rim. If it hits the rim, we got to start all over. That mentality mm. of eating, sleeping, and defecating basketball, and that mentality of I'm better than everybody else, and this is the way it's gonna be. When I, I asked Kobe. He was 20 years old, right before he turned 21. I said, man, every, I, you know, I played with Harold Miner, and they were saying, baby Jordan, so you the new Michael Jordan? He goes, no, I'm the first Kobe Bryant. Mm -hmm. He was 20 years old when he said that to me. I know he didn't know it was going to turn. Well, knowing Kobe, he probably did know it was going to turn into who he turned into. <laughs> Come to think of it. Yeah, I was, I was interested in that conversation about what the Mamba mentality up close really yeah. really looked like to you because you know as an athlete i thought i was pretty dedicated to my to my craft and uh when i hear these 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 legendary tales about kobe's workout schedule and how like you said the thousand shots and all of that it's just yeah. it's like wow that's a different level of de i mean i was you know a guy that would wake up on a sunday morning and and get my roommate to go get into the cages and hit after a three game series. And, you know, guys are out partying the night before we're up at 9am in the morning, going out to hit this guy talking about getting up at four in the morning and going to the gym and working out and then eating at six and going back to the gym and working out and doing mm. all those things. It's just, it's just otherworldly. I mean, did you, did you have any experiences with him trying to get you to do any of those types of things with him? I played one-on-one -on -one with him every, after every practice and I won every one-on-one -on -one game and we would play to five and then he was like run it back and i would win the next one run it back and i would win the next one and he kept saying 
man, I'm going to beat you one day. I said, not if you let me score. For I'm older than you, so I get the ball first. I'm seven <laughs> foot. I'm going to back you down and hook shot this in five times in a row. I'm not going to miss a shot. And he was like, you're going to miss one day. And then I'm going, I said, I'm not going to miss. <laughs> but the fact that he kept, you know what? I'm going to beat you. I'm going to be, he would be a practice. Let me tell you, this is when he lived in the Palisades in, in the, in the early 1999, 2000, he would go to Go's gym early in the morning. He would then go to practice, go to lunch, breakfast, and then be at the gym at nine, nine 15. We don't have to be there at 10, 30, 11. And when you got there, he'd be in the weight room already. And then he'd be shooting around. We go through whatever practice because Phil's practices are detailed. And then he would stay after. So he would put in eight hours, 10 hours a day in basketball. When we were on the road, you know, we had a VCR at that time. He would carry his own VCR and have all these old tapes and watch older players play. Along with his father being Jelly Bean, who can play. Yeah. So this guy did nothing but eat, sleep, and defecate basketball, but at a high level, not just, not just, oh, I play basketball. No, he's knowing if I get to this point and I get the ball above my head, no one can stop. Um, this guy likes to do this. I'm going to watch this move. He, he was very detailed, almost like a Rain Man situation. That's the way I put it, a Rain Man situation when it came to it. What was the dynamic of watching, you know, you got a chance to see Phil Jackson in action with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman, and then now going to the Lakers, seeing Phil Jackson, the dynamic with Shaq and Kobe? Uh, Phil would make us leave Kobe alone. You know, Kobe would do something, man. And like people would always tell you a story. He would do something and then he'd pump his hands down. And people thought he was saying, hey, everybody calm down. No, he was talking to us. And we used to see him take the ball and do something. Man, pass the ball, do whatever. And he'd be like, relax, relax, cat, and throw the ball, throw his towel at me. This guy was Phil Jackson saw the greatness coming to this dude and knew the conversations he was having to him and his mentality. Phil coaches everybody different. You, you know, you say you got to coach people different. Um, and, and there's some players that, you know, you you have to pat on the back and there's some players you leave alone. Uh, but both with that. And with Shaq, Shaq had people around him, he said, that caused the problem between he and Kobe um, mm. that he wind up getting rid of. But when he sat back and thought about it, it was a match that, he said he interrupted. Um, Phil, knowing how to coach. Think about this. Phil has Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan goes through the situation of his father dying and then winning the championship and then wanting to go play baseball. Now he has Tony Kuko and Scottie Pippen. And if they would have embraced the Tony Kuko situation, Tony would have been 10 times better than he already was. And he had to deal with Scotty not wanting to go in the game and still loving him. He had to deal with Scotty holding out and still loving him. And Scotty had to, you know, so many things. Scotty's the youngest of 12, everybody pulling and taking from him. You know, it was so many things going on that Phil Jackson had to manage. Um, I love the way Phil coached. And the reason I didn't become a coach, one, uh, 
I have a, um, an unbelievable big heart and I will snatch somebody else's out if they talk back to me, if I'm a coach. And the only coach I wanted to coach with is Phil Jackson. I believe in the triangle offense. I believe Michael is great and Kobe is great and Shaq is great and Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman. But I think the difference was we had a system no one can guard. No one. To the point where the system within the Warriors right now is a bastardized triangle. Mm -hmm. And it works with Steph's game and Clay's game. But that's Steve Kerr knowing that this offense made the ability for him to have open shots, him to be able to do what he did really well in shooting the ball. The offense uh, gives you that, that opportunity. So I think the triangle offense deserves half of all because without the system, we're just going to run the plays like everybody else. And then, you know, you wind up getting in a situation like Milwaukee was this year where a team is better than you on the wrong night. When you run the system, you run the triangle, it doesn't make a difference what they're doing because what they're not doing is what you're taking. Last basketball question for me. Um, you mentioned, you know, you were going to back Kobe down and put the hook shot on him. And then we talked about Shaquille and, and you know, the, the people in his camp that got in between him and Kobe. I recently heard you on an interview put your starting lineup on the floor and you, you put uh, the big sky hook, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on your starting lineup. I wanted to know when I heard that, how do you reconcile putting him on the floor mm -hmm. over, over Shaquille? Because, I mean, I... I... No. So, uh, I have Shaquille, Michael. That's not Isaiah. who you put on your starting five. You put Magic, no, I did. I Michael. Put you put Magic, Michael, Kareem, Bird, and you, then you, you went back and forth between Kobe and LeBron and you put Kobe and you talked about that you had to pick between eras. But your starting big man was Kareem. Well, you, you might be right, but I thought it, I, I think it was Shaq. The reason I say that is because Magic doesn't have a problem giving the ball up. Michael has a problem giving the ball up. Kobe has a problem giving the ball up. There's only one ball. Larry Bird has to have the ball in his hand. And Kareem wants the ball every three times down court. So it was if you want a team with greatness, you're going to have to put guys in the game that want to have a team win, that, that trust their teammates with the ball. Um. Uh, nothing against you, Jay, but uh, you remember when Boston won their first soup, uh, their first uh, championship in a long time? They had to have a team, mm -hmm. and when you're playing a team sport, having the greatest players in their position doesn't make it a good a good team. So that's probably why I put that in there. But I I do remember saying Shaq in the middle, but you know I do smoke cannabis. Deuces 22, my own brand with my daughter, Tyler. Uh, so we're not smoking right now, but it's her brand. She's the CEO. Mm. The, the reason that I know that it was Kareem that you put there is because I looked at it this morning and I was shocked about it. I was like, wow, this is 
this is, uh, you know, for me, it's got to be Shaquille because he's so dominant and he's so strong and he's, you know, every bit as tall. I think that he's going to be able. When I said I got to have Shaquille, I think I went back. That was on Shannon's shop, I think it was. No, I it was on to Vlad. Back to it. it was on Vlad. It was so it was hard on to Vlad. Do. Mm. Yeah, there's so many yeah. guys, uh, you know, there's so many different, like you said, eras and guys that, that you know, were dominant in their era and then you try to think about stacking them up against each other in real time and it's like you know wow so does does Shaquille stop the sky hook? Jerry Is West he... was a bad boy yes he was yes he was yeah that you said 44 Jerry a night West used to score 40 and Jerry West averaged 36 points 40 Bruh. a night he, he was so good Richard Pryor put him in his comedy act like <laughs> He was giving them numbers. And imagine, imagine the mentality that could never happen now. Jerry West lost seven, eight, or nine championship series in a row. Imagine trying to live in L.A. and every year you play the Celtics, you lose. How are you going to go out in the summertime? Mm. Like, imagine the, the, what is it? What's the word, Tyler? Fortitude? I don't know. The strength, the mental strength of losing every year. And then Elgin Baylor, who is the reason I win number 22, God rest his soul, is his is his co is his co uh criminal Star. who is also destroying people. Elgin Baylor was amazing. But they kept losing. They kept losing to the Celtics. Then they lose to the 76ers. Until they then Elgin retires and they got Wilt. They finally win. But imagine Jerry West losing nine years almost in a row, mm. being injured where he tore, tore his knee up, and they didn't have operations like they have now. I mean, they used to take you to a farm and give the knife to a farmer. Like, it mm. wasn't the same kind of surgeries that we have now where you can get a surgery and be back playing tomorrow better. This was literally chopped, you know, and I just... Jerry West had to deal with so much. Um, I just thought he was he's an amazing, amazing player. That's why I put him up there. But if I were to do it again, I wouldn't want guys who have no problem passing the ball to Michael and Kobe and being okay with their stats. Mm. Love it. Well, John I think, you know, losing all those series in a row would probably uh, make them feel like they wanted to take part in some of that deuces 22. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you probably have seen me drinking from the now famous White Yeti Cup, and you may be wondering, what is Stephen drinking out of that Yeti Cup? Well, what I've been drinking has been supplied by today's sponsor, Futures Hero Antioxidant Coffee. Futures Hero is not just a great tasting coffee, which it is, but it's also roasted with the patented Healthy Roast technology, which retains 75%, Jerry, 75% mm of the naturally occurring antioxidants from the green coffee bean. It comes in whole bean and ground, it comes in uh, K-cups, and it comes in a cold brew. Futures Hero Antioxidant Coffee is the healthy roast that's good for you. Uh, let's, let's, talk about your, let's talk about your, your foray into the cannabis world. How did you get into that and, and, and how is that going for you now? Well, I was in the cannabis business because I was around guys who didn't do it out of a dispensary. I didn't smoke until my last month as a Laker. Um, I used to believe in the propaganda. Um, 
And then when I found out if I would have smoked weed, I probably would have played 22 years. I'm not saying LeBron smokes weed. <laughs> but I, I'm I would have played so many more years because I would have I finally learned how the body worked and how to calm this savage beast that, you know, that that they want. I didn't I didn't understand it. So I literally thought, you know, I was talking to my daughter. She's uh, literally one of the smartest people on the planet. And she wanted to be in uh, in business. And I thought, let's go into this business. And she was like, yeah. So right now we have it at a couple of dispensaries and we're holding on to the brand and we built it, built to sell. Um, a very simple brand. It's we only sell flour, indica, hybrid, and um, sativa. She picked the packaging. Um, she's a, a cannabis, uh, um, what's the word, Tyler? Uh, connoisseur of cannabis. And she is literally wanted to keep it as original as possible uh, so people can enjoy the cannabis uh, experience. Um, I now eat a lot of cannabis without putting fire to it. Uh, I have teas that go with it. I also have mushrooms. When I found out how great these mushrooms are for connecting the psycho um, spasms I have in my brain from being having PTSD, because um, you get that as an athlete, I tell people this all the time. You guys say, hey, the Lakers are playing tonight. Um, when I was on the Laker, all day, the Lakers are playing tonight. It's not just, oh, we'll watch the game, and then after the game, we'll go to ESPN. No, I'm a part of it 24-7. Yeah. It's almost like being a squirrel, always looking out for snakes and hawks uh, and, and, and all kind of things. So you, you're under this nervous energy the whole time. I never knew how to calm it down. I found that out with cannabis. And then yoga and meditation. But the cannabis was the first foray. Where is yours grown? We grow here in California without a lot of chemicals. A lot of cannabis is um, is is a uh, uh, what is it called? Um, yeah, pesticides, and they have uh, just unnatural things inside of it. We try to stay as simple as possible, so we get our cannabis from boutique growers that were you know, able to get into where we are now. So much of it is has GMO in it. It's definitely GMO. It's no longer ganja. You can't buy it with seeds. But we have as least amount as pop, um, uh, I'd say, pesticides and additives as anyone else. Do you, I, I hear the uh, the holistic uh, nature of where of where you stand in life. Are you are you an uh, an indoor or a natural outdoor? I like uh, some outdoors, but it also where we have. I have a brother up in San Francisco, man, who lived in Jamaica for years, man, and he owns a company called Vital uh, Nutrients, um, Vitals or Organics, and he grows some unbelievable uh, cannabis outdoor. Uh, but not everywhere is going to be good at that. I, I got into a business with Isaiah Thomas. Um, we changed the name, um, but he became the largest hemp and cannabis grower in the world out of Colombia. I've been asking for years for me to go to, down to Colombia and make sure everything is going right. He just won't get won't let me go because he know I won't come home. 
Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, I, I got to the point where what Isaiah, we just, Isaiah first would buy the hemp oil for people in his family. Then he, the son got into it. And then when he got into owning the farms or owning the company that has an alliance with the farms, he wound up getting a contract from BMW to make hemp plastics. You can make 200, 205 things out of the hemp plant. Uh, it's the most sustainable plant on the planet. Uh, and it's good for you. And it's good for the, it's good for uh, civilization as we know. And, you know, I, I eat a plant-based diet. Uh, I'm moving more to raw than I have processed, but we're about to go get some process. Um, but I, I keep this mentality. I keep this idea. If it's good for everybody, it's good for everybody. It can't just be good for one side. Mm. Uh, another thing that I know you're, you're doing now, uh, the, the health and wellness, you know, in addition, yeah. or, uh, you know, I guess as a, uh, an add on to the hemp business and the cannabis business, health and wellness is a big thing. You're vegan. How long have you been vegan? I, I started this in 1991. I was a lying vegetarian all the way to 2006. I didn't want to give up shrimp and I didn't want to give up butter and cheese. So then, uh, now I have my own chicken patty that's made without soy and, uh, half of the, uh, additives that any other chicken has. I, um, 2006, I became vegan. And now in 2022, 21, I eat a lot of raw food and, uh, I'm transitioning into becoming, um, a rap god, no, transitioning into becoming uh, as healthy as I possibly can, and I believe that nothing has to die for me to live. And people go, "Well, the plants are dying." No, the plants are alive when I'm eating them, and when they come into my body, it keeps me more alive. So we stay alive. We just like a butterfly, go from being a caterpillar to a butterfly. You know, I, I this girl one time had these tattoos on her back and all these little butterflies, and I go, "What's that?" She goes, "Those are baby butterflies," and I just stared at her. I go, butterflies don't have babies. And she was like, huh? And then mm. she thought about it and was like, I'm so embarrassed. Like they just transitioned into their next form. So <laughs> those I are moths. don't think any, yeah, <laughs> those are moths, baby. I don't think uh, those are flies on your back. I don't think any, any, uh, any sentinel being has to die for me to live. And so that's another reason for not eating dead carcass. Uh, I, I look at my body like a boom box. You can't put in dead D batteries and expect to get a boom. So everything I eat has to be alive as uh, the most of the things I eat, I want them to be alive. Well, John, we really appreciate your time, man. That is awesome. I mean, for you, athlete, entrepreneur, you started this whole first take, all this stuff, the debate shows. You guys started with the best damn sports show, period, which was an incredible show. You've always yep. been a guy that's forward thinking on the cutting edge, and you continue to to amaze on and off the court. Thank you for your time, brother. And Stephen, you got anything else? Thank you. Yeah, John, you know, I mean, you and I have had some great conversations. I could sit and yeah. talk to you for hours, man. I, 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 we got to connect more often and just sit yeah. and have conversations, man, because I know there's a lot I can still learn from you. But um, I really appreciate you being here and, and, and everything that you have done for me thus far, you know, in my 
my existence out here in LA, showing uh-huh. me some of the things to do and not do, and you know, giving me some advice. And you've done so. well. You've done so well. You had a dark skin brother and a light skin skin. That, hey, <laughs> that is the biggest compliment I've had in a long time. Thank you so you're much the, for that. You're the blackest light skin kid I've ever met. <laughs> I, love I love it. I love you, it. Man. I love you hey, too, Jerry, Sal. Nice meeting you, man. For John Sally and Stephen Bishop, this is Jerry Harrison Jr. for Hollywood Sweet.